This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Recently on the podcast, we've been doing a series of church planting mistakes, and today we're talking to Pete Cornford about the effect of gathering new people into a church plant. You can find the full notes on everything that Pete says at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 138. So here is Pete Cornford. Uh, well, welcome to the broadcast church planting podcast. Um, we've been talking about the different mistakes that we make in church planting um, mainly about uh, my brother's mistakes. So it's me, Tim Simmons, and my brother, Matt Simmons, um, based in Amsterdam, me in Manchester. And today we're joined by um, Pete Cornford. Um, and Pete's middle name is actually Church Planting Legend. So I, I think we're going to learn some good stuff today. I'm excited by this. So, Pete, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your story, and then we'll talk about your many multitude of mistakes after that. Uh- Hi, I'm Pete. It's great to be joining with you. Um, at the moment, I'm planting a church in Ealing, West London, called Redeemer. Uh, before that, I planted a church called The Crown, which was in Hillingdon, which was another West London borough. And I've been involved in a few other coaching situations as well. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy to share some mistakes and hopefully it will serve you guys well. Well, tell us, tell us about uh, Hillingdon, then Ealing. When uh, how old were you when you started? Who, how many did you start with? Give us a little bit of a flavour of what you did. The two totally different plants, if I'm really honest. Uh, Hillingdon, when I got there, there was a small group already. Uh, there was 17 adults and 15 children. And we always used to joke, it was like worshipping in crash. Uh, yeah. When the kids went out and the adults went with them, there was more people left the room than stayed in. We always said we should have kept our kids in the main hall and taken the adults out to sort of Sunday school. Uh, so that that was that one. Uh, and to be honest, I landed in Hillingdon in December and we planted the church in, in April. So it was a quick turnaround. Mm. Ealing was, I was going to say, almost the exact opposite. So when we moved here, I've got three kids. Uh, our family of five was basically it. Uh, there was a small group actually from Crown, six of them, they closed and joined us. When we launched Sundays here, we had one child under the age of 11. And so we used to send two adults out with this one child to go and have fun together. But apart from that, it tended to be singles and 20s and folk that just living in London. Uh, Hillingdon's an outer London borough and Ealing would be considered an inner London borough. So with the crown, it's, I presume it's still going, the first one you planted? Yeah, uh, so uh, Crown is still going. James Hunting's leading it. They've brought their own building midweek and still doing very well. So what's that, 15, 20 years old? 2002, so there you go, 17 years old. So if you really wanted to be technical, the first church I was involved in planting was when I was 15 years old. Yeah. There was a split in the Baptist church and we literally met in somebody's house. Yeah. We met in their house for about a month. Uh, we then, um, my history teacher from secondary school ended up planting the church. He came and joined us. Some of you will know Simon Pettit. Oh. That was that was Kings Upfield. And then he went from us out to um, South Africa. So I always say, well, I was really, really started when I was a teenager. 
Wow, that's some new Frontiers history there. I didn't realise that at all. Uh, and uh, so Redeemer's been going for how many years then? So we would say it, Sunday mornings, it's been going for six years. We launched it the last Sunday of 2013. And how many of you are there now? Uh, evangelistic, let's be honest. How do we want to stretch this? I mean, we just had Mother's Day and um, a dedication, <laughs> so I'm feeling good. Uh, Normally, there'd be about 200, 210, maybe on a Sunday morning. Oh, that's great. I'd have gone for the big number every time. <laughs> Although, actually, in Manchester, one of our sites is made up of students and people who haven't got kids yet. And so Mother's Day gets smaller because they all go and see their mums. So I, ne- I never count Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah. OK, so you've had quite. Um, so you planted in two quite different parts of London, then, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always the way when you plant a church, isn't it? You've got to understand the area. So Hillington is the second largest geographical borough, 12 miles top to bottom in London. And so a lot of people came by car. So we went for a secondary school uh, where there was car parking outside. Ealing, at least a third of the borough would go to work by bus or public transport. So we've probably got a third of our church that don't have cars. There is no car parking space where we meet. We actually meet in the town hall at present. Uh, we're just about to get moved out. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not an issue. So when my kids went to secondary school, I had to go to parents' evening on the bus. It's just that culture. And so I think you just try and work out the culture of where you are. So any example today, you've got to try and filter down to where you're living. Absolutely. Very good. Well, let's talk about your mistake then. Tell us what your mistake in church planting is you want to talk about uh, well to be honest when the guys asked me to do the, the video um i probably had a top 10 <laughs> and so i'm just narrowing down to one that i'm talking um i would say to me the biggest mistake was that i expected when somebody came to visit me that they'd all come back the next week now partly again that's a that is a london thing so one of the benefits of planting is london is that people will visit so um I know when we started Crown Church, probably for the first three years, we would have had a first-time visitor probably every week for three years. And and that would be true quite a bit of Hillingdon. Now, the downside of that is people coming and moving all the time. But the upside is there's always somebody new. There's nearly, nearly every week you get somebody. It's their first week that's amongst you. So it's very positive because it makes you outward looking and you're always thinking who's the visitor how do they feel at home makes you aware of your language and you know when you explain oh welcome if it's your first time you think well there is somebody here for the first time the downside the mistake i made um is i just i thought they'd come back i mean literally when i started crown i would be on the door the next week looking for them and when i couldn't see them my heart just sank and i thought oh was church so bad last week they didn't come back? <laughs> you know, was I not friendly enough? Was I too friendly? You know what I'm saying? When we started Hillingdon, we had two rows. You could either sit in the front row or the back row. There was no place to hide. So I think, oh, is that it? Um, and I found that they always say the smaller the vehicle, the more you feel the bumps of the road. And I definitely felt that with visitors. I just think, like, where are they? I thought they were going to be with us. I, I, I really thought we we connected. <laughs> We'd swap phone numbers or something. This was before you even had to fill in forms. You know, I thought we were in it together, and I found that really hard. I think it played into my sense of being a man pleaser, and so you just sort of you know. Then you think, oh god, am I doing church for him or for them? 
So I think it definitely impacted that. I think a negative was it impacted my marriage. So I would say this was a bigger mistake probably at Crown than now because every week I'd be thinking, if, if I don't get them this week. So we had people back for dinner every single week because I'd meet, I'll come back for dinner because we had this thing, you know, eat with us, stay with us. And it just felt like I was constantly chasing the guest, the visitor. And, you know, I tell my wife, oh, and then you just feel like it's a week, it's a month, it's a year, and I'm still chasing them. And you just think uh, it, it wasn't good for me in the long term. So I made lots of mistakes about it. That's interesting. So um, so talk us through then, just to help me. You're Like the first time around, you're saying you made this mistake a lot early on. A visitor turns up at church um, what was did you? How did you follow them up in the week, or didn't you? What What was your thinking? So, I mean, this obviously makes me sound really old, doesn't it? But when they first came to Crown, I would do a handwritten letter. <laughs> <laughs> I've so been every week, many, to get years. Oh my words! <laughs> we had a visitors book when we first started, so none of these fill in a form or you know send us your email, text me if you're interested. It was it's like there was. So, um, did we? I don't even know if we had a website. We we had coloured acetates. You know what I'm saying? Because that's how trendy it was. <laughs> I thought we were hit because we had a, a slimline overhead projector, so I could put it in the cupboard other than a big one. <laughs> there was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. There was none of this sort of social. Which is partly why we did so many leaflets, and I've been known for leafleting. You see? Yeah. So, we had a visitor's book, so I said to everybody on the core team, sign the visitor's book because then it doesn't look like the visitor's on their own because obviously, you know, and it's literally, we'd have people sign, I'd then take the book home and I'd try and write them a personalised letter. I met you and, you know, it was nice and your kids or something about that. I understand where you're from or why you're moving here. So the whole process then was very sort of bespoke, I suppose you could say. <laughs> but intensive always put a first class stamp on it <laughs> handwritten letter because how many people get a handwritten letter with a first class stamp on you see yeah, and then it's see anymore but yeah <laughs> uh, I wonder if that would work I wonder if that would work even better today like, because, like, today no one gets a letter I just Facebook stalk people but writing a letter is such a good idea That's, you'd have to get their address off them and everything I mean it would be a <laughs> so okay so somebody turns up at your church they they write in the visitors book they talk to you what what happens then end of the meeting so um we used to do tea and coffee at the start of that meeting so at the end of the meeting people were clearing up obviously you're renting a space so i would try and connect to them and, and then clear up afterwards um like i say if i could get them back for lunch I would, but often in those days, to be honest, you try and invite them back the next week because then you thought they're coming back for another Sunday. Yeah. Uh, but like I say, on the Monday morning, I'd write the letter, first class stamp, pop it in the envelope, handwritten envelope, put it out. The hope was that they would then come back and connect. But I mean, this sounds terrible. We didn't chase mobile phones or emails or that at all like you do now. So obviously, they got a letter. They might never come again. I used to write to them twice. So the first time was about that, and the second time was Christmas. And so 
anybody that had come in that year would get a handwritten letter at Christmas. We loved you coming to visit our church this year. You know, we've got carols by candlelight and, you know, the mayor and all that coming. We'd love to invite him. I've, I've stuck in two invitations in case you want to bring a friend with you. So, but, but that really was the full extent of it. We did nothing beyond that. There was no follow-up. I mean, since then, obviously, um, I'd learned a lot when Bill Hybels used to talk about, you know, trying to do the support and the care and the follow-up and get them into groups. We didn't do any of that. It was just the letter, really. Right, okay. So, how? I mean, both of these churches still exist and are growing and thriving, so it must have worked. <laughs> I, look, the more involved I am in church planting, the more I'm aware it's the grace of God. <laughs> We're all looking for a silver bullet and there isn't one. <laughs> no, there is a diligence, isn't there? So, yes. you know, I, yeah. there are plenty of church planters who want to preach. They don't want to. So, so it must have worked. Sorry about that. That's my wife trying to be friendly. It's all right. We're a professional podcast. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think people matter. I guess I, I've, I've always felt stirred by that. At the end of the day, um, the, the danger is I always think of the 99 and Jesus left them and went for the one. Uh, I think one of my most powerful moments was back in the old cell church day. I went to a conference that Lawrence Kong was doing and there was 10,000 in his church plant after 10 years and he said we could go and visit a small group um, um but we could we couldn't ask the small group leader any question we could only ask him anyway the next day we came back there's 2,000 of us at the conference and somebody puts their hand up and said my small group leader said I feel like a number in this church now at the time he had a budget of a you know 300 million he had like 350 staff and uh, he didn't say anything about that. He just stood on the platform and cried. And he said, ah, oh, I never want people to feel like they're just a number. People matter. And I guess that has probably got into me. I mean, if you do strength finders and all those kind of things, I am an includer. Maybe that's why church planting plays more to my natural strengths. And you just feel like people genuinely matter. And so underneath of it, I don't I didn't want to get into some system. I genuinely wanted to connect with people. Now the danger, which is why I think turning a weakness, is oh, I found it so hard personally if I didn't get the connection and you know they were there. Or let's be honest, some people they come and have a look at you and then they come back in a month's time or two months' time. I was just very short term. And that's the problem. But that's another classic problem, isn't it? Rather than look at your church over a year, you look at it over a week. <laughs> and you think, I've not grown this week. Whereas actually, you, like you say, I mean, you wisely say, well, a lot of young singles, they're not going to be around this particular week. I mean, that's often been true for us at Easter. Everyone says, oh, it's the highlight. But so many people leave London because it's a four-day weekend. Yeah. Can you give us a bit more um, detail of, of how you kind of processed or how you learned to process that emotion of people not returning because I think you know every church partner has to walk that journey you know because I've done it in slightly more modern times I've often uh, Facebook stalked people you know they come on a Sunday you get their name you find them on Facebook you become their friend and you exchange a message and then you never see them at church again but you get you then end up following their life in this really weird way 
And I've often ended up then having to kind of unfollow people a few months later when I realized I'm never actually going to see them again. But the fact that I'm seeing them on my Facebook feed then just, um, I was going to say, winds me up. doesn't wind me up. Probably does wind me up. <laughs> Frustrates <laughs> me. So how do you process that emotion? I mean, I think, I think what I had to find ultimately is that I genuinely believe that God builds his church, not me. And so when it, it became very me focused, if I could attract them, if I could get them back in, you know, it, and I thought I've got to trust that God is sovereign. It's his church. And so I thought, how did my theology affect my practice? Because in, in an insecurity way, you just think, oh, man, I want to get as many as. And then I thought, actually, he's building his church and I've got to trust that he'll bring the right ones back. But pragmatically, I tried to have this saying build with people rather than on people and i hope that wasn't cynical but i just thought people do come and go and life is like that you know but i thought how do i genuinely build with people include people it's not about me there's team there's others that are engaging but actually if i build on oh if i don't get this one person or this one person feels the call to move on you know if i built on them i, I get crushed and then i think no no come on we're building with people but actually, I cannot think everybody's going to, you know, let's be honest, I moved on from Graham, <laughs> you know, and, and that's always the thing. And so I suppose partly you think I've just got to keep trusting him. It's interesting you said you, that um, this affected your marriage, um, which when I looked at the, uh, when you met uh, Matt message through earlier, the mistake that you wanted to talk about, that it's funny that it didn't get to that depth in my thinking. But actually, I remember, um, in one of our sites, we had quite a high turnover. A lot of, sounds like your current church, a lot of young professionals, students who can be around for three, four years and then go. Uh, and uh, we would get to June or July most years. And Vicky would just talk about how sad she felt because there'd be a whole turnover of people who were, we would, like you said, have built with and on sometimes. And, and then we're going to leave. Uh, and that would be it. And because it happened before, you knew that really, in real terms, they were dropping out of your life because as much as you say you'd like to stay friends with everyone, as soon as they've left town, they're busy, you're busy. It's you're kind of finished, really. And um, so how did so we found that from a, you know, a, like your community for your own family. It's quite a difficult thing for a planter, I think. So how did you ha, talk us through how you feel it affected your marriage and how you dealt with that? So um, like you say, and I'm not claiming to be the worst on this. Andrew Haslam, who's planting a church in central London, had said to me, you know, because I've been chatting to him a little bit about the journey. He reckoned a third of his church moves on every year. Mm. I think that's Matt, you know what I'm saying? And, but then you do think, golly, one, how do I keep my personal heart soft? How do I not just become cynical about people? You know, oh, well, you know, they're here for a while, but, you know, do you know, the, the worst case we had, we had a, somebody come from a New Frontiers church up in Scotland. And I thought, oh, great. So they turned up in December. I made them alpha group leaders in January and they'd left by April. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I could. Yeah, we've got to the stage now that we would literally ask somebody to serve on their second visit. Yeah. Because I don't know how long they're going to be here. Let's let's tell them in. How did it affect my marriage? So I think in my insecurity, I chased people and I didn't give enough time to my wife and kids when I planted Crown. So if I could look back and think the mistake I made there, 
is I thought everything rides on every person. And so you chase it down. I've got to be there. I'm going to meet this person for a coffee. I've got to make a phone call to this person. You know, I'm going to follow up this person. And rather than saying that I'm trusting God and I believe we'll be here in 10, 20 years time and take that sort of pace, the, the insecurity or the chasing the one became, I would say, just out of proportion and kilter. And, and, and that's the danger where you can then burn yourself out or burn, you know. So I'm loving it. So let's be honest, as an ex- extrovert and an includer, I love it and chase and chase and chase. But the danger is after two years, you know, your wife says, golly, you're just always chasing there. You're always pursuing the next person. What about us at home? So I think that that would have been the flow back, really. And when you made that change, did it slow down the growth of your church? I, I think it has it slowed down the growth of the church. Probably. So I think what, what's really interesting is when we started Crown, I think we grew quickly for four years. And to be honest, I then got caught up in coaching other church planters for the London team that was at the time. And so was more involved outside the church. And so we probably grew slower. So we're probably the similar kind of size as Crown was now, but it probably took us slightly longer to get there because, you know, I thought actually it's not a do or die every week. And I am, I told my wife I'm going to be here and I'm going to do this. I'm going to honour it. Whereas before I didn't. Um, not in the long, not in the long haul. I don't think so. No. Uh, and it's definitely more sustainable. So that's got to be a good thing in the long haul. Um, I'd much rather do it this way than that way <laughs> in myself. You know, I can look back over it and my kids are obviously a lot older now. Uh, but my youngest one's at university. Uh, so that's definitely changed the whole nature of, of how church planting works. I mean, when we planted Crown, my kids were two, four and six, I think it was. But we were still the first ones there, the last ones to leave and had somebody back for lunch every week. Whereas now, you know, again, we, I, I can go on the bus, I can walk. It's a different thing. At Crown, I had to go in the car, so the whole family had to come. Whereas now I can go at any time, come back at any time. But, um, yeah, and I definitely think that was the challenge. Yeah. Pete, a bit more of a kind of um, analytical question. Did you ever, did you ever kind of strive to learn why people didn't come back? Because obviously, if you've got, you know, when you're putting people into membership, um, or you know, you're you're talking with them about that, you'll find out why people might not want to do that. Um, but obviously, if someone just comes once and never comes back. You don't necessarily get to learn what was the reason for that. Um, and, and what I find in my head is you then jump to X number of conclusions. Or it must be because of that reason or this reason or, you know, who knows what. Um, did you ever think, do you know what, did you ever learn why people weren't returning or did you try and find out in any way? So, again, I think it's very hard because that seems quite intense if it's your first visit you know and that's the challenge of the church plan whereas i think again i'm much more aware of that so i can't remember i read in one leadership book about much more than interviewing people to, this was to join a company you should interview them when they leave the company because they're not trying to say what you want to say to get a job they're, they're telling you what they think because they're going and i have tried to do that now with folk on the church mm-hmm. and so like you say you suddenly think oh god you've been with us for 
a year, two years, you know, why is it you're moving on? And, and for some, if they're really honest, they say it was too expensive and I want to move out. But there are other things that I think, so I'll, I'll be frank with you now, uh, we've probably found it hard to keep single women in their 50s. Because they might say, oh, things are growing for the youth or things are growing for the students or you've got stuff. And you think, oh, what are we doing for those that, you know, and, and you suddenly think. So I probably had three or four ladies like that leave. And again, I tried to meet them for coffee. So I just really like to hear how you found it. Oh, it's ever so friendly in that. I just didn't feel there's something for me. And so, again, I think as it's got bigger, it's easier to do that. Whereas when you're planting in those early days, you know, your visitor, you just don't know. Uh, and, and and some of it, you got to be clear. This is the kind of church we are. You know, people think I don't like the music that loud, or I don't like the lights that dim, or however, whatever you've decided. I don't like the fact there's kids everywhere running around, and you think, well, this is the kind of church we are. And and sometimes I, you just have to get to that point of peace, don't you? Yeah, it's very good. I think what I've always said is the competition is not another church. The competition is sport. It's drinking the night before. It's shopping. You know, Jesus is coming back for one bride. And so I think genuinely now if they leave me and they're part of another local church, that's a great thing. Often the challenge is it's Sunday sport. You know, you lose families for Sunday sport and that kind of stuff. No, you're absolutely right. Very good. Uh, I've got a couple more questions before we finish. I was just thinking what you're talking about in terms of the – uh, the turnover so thinking about new people and people moving on i think all three of us would uh, are in cities like that uh, we know definitely in uh, a couple of our sites and uh, we got five sites and a couple of them are around the student areas so they're very high turnover one in the city center so we get lots of visitors so in fallowfields we can get 40 to 50 visitors in a couple of weeks in september and october um and so I know you guys would experience similar things. So how do you, Pete, work? How do you build community in that? Uh, I find one of the – so the conversation I had with my wife in June about it being very sad and people are moving on, I kind of have to have it with a whole site of CCM that I'm always saying, well, yeah, but in September, October, we're going to get a whole bunch of new people that are our friends who will become our friends uh, and nobody believes me, but then in February, they've all got these wonderful new group of mates that they really like. And nobody remembers that I warned them um, that that would happen. So h- how do you, in that kind of high turnover culture, um, you build community in? I mean, very simple, even like on a Sunday. So we actually do tea and coffee before and after the meeting. Yeah. You know, the guests get there beforehand and afterwards. So you think you've got twice as long for people to hang around. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you have to be very intentional. Like I say, now I don't get people's addresses. They tend to give you their mobile number or their email, which are both non-geographical. Yeah. And I think we are countercultural. You know, so many people, they don't necessarily do their entertainment or their sport locally. They could be wherever. And so we're trying to say, oh, get a heart for this place, get a heart for Ealing. And they might think, well, I'm traveling uptown. So partly I think I realize that I'm countercultural. I, I realize it takes time. Whenever you give a story, I think that inspires. And so you try and tell a story, oh, this has been great or so-and-so. Uh, we've actually gone down the road of these terminally small groups. And I definitely think that has helped. We get a much bigger buy-in. Now, there's weaknesses to that whole model. 
But I think for us, with the turnout, you know, people turn up and, in fact, our new folk are in groups much quicker than our, our, our long-standing folks. And so literally, oh, everyone's doing a group now. You know, it's January, and they're suddenly all signed up. So we did this welcome lunch. Again, partly it's a cultural thing. This term is being we've done it once a month. You come and have lunch at the pastor's house for new folk. And I might get 10 or 15 people each month that will come and have lunch at our place. So I think that has helped. Last time I did it, everybody that came were already in a small group. And I think that's just because we've started small groups termly. So I think the termly small groups have helped. Yeah, because everybody has to go and recruit new people all over again. Everybody recruits. Uh, there's no, oh, this long-standing thing. I mean, there's downsides to it. Yep. I, there's no long-term pastoral support. You can hide. If you've got an issue, you can bounce from one group to another. But actually, in terms of community and buying in, so we have unbelievers in our small groups, which you didn't before. You know, people that are very new are involved. Uh, people that have only been around a couple of months could lead the next term. So I think it quickly brings people in in terms of ownership. Yeah, very good. And in that uh, culture of turnover, um, how do you uh, – so you, as a church, you, like you said, this is kind of – this is the sort of church we are. Uh, and we're finding we have like a, a standard sermon series of about eight weeks, which we talk about the different cultures that we want in our church. And I'm finding it in some of the sites – we need to do it like every 18 months and we need to kind of, you have to go over it again and again. How do you guys work on building that or explaining the, your own values and culture as a church? So, I, I mean, you know, obviously you've got some publicity, which tries to help. We do do a membership. I know not everyone does that. I mean, it, it's fairly short, but, you know, join the family, we call it. Um, we actually had John Hosier, uh, preach last week some of you some of your listeners might have been aware of him classic new frontiers guy and he was saying which i thought was a really interesting point many of us leaders think that we're building church because of our values you know we fought for these values and m- myself at like being part of new frontiers i know 35 years now and so you say, oh, this is our value but actually if i'm b- brutally honest there's probably only about four or five people in our church that know anything of New Frontiers outside of us. And so I don't think they would say, oh, these are the values I hold. I think they'd probably say, I really like Redeemer. <laughs> but actually, if I move somewhere else, I could go anywhere else. And so, you know, we've often thought, are oh, they brought in and they're with our values? And sometimes I think, actually, they just enjoy church with us. And I'm not sure there's such a strong commitment to that as maybe there was 20 years ago, you know, and obviously part of New Frontiers and people say, oh, we're planting here and that's going to have our values. And, you know, whereas, you know, and I'm not knocking that, but I think people go to HTV plant down the road or they just go to, you know, and they say, oh, quite like that kind of church. And so I don't know that the values are strong for the people as they once were, although as leaders, we want to live and die by them. Yes. I think that's very good. I think it's very astute. I think that would probably be true for us as well almost entirely wouldn't have experienced new frontiers until they joined us um and yeah wouldn't give a monkeys if they ever were in a new frontiers church again afterwards so yeah very good matt have you got any last questions yeah i was wondering pete you know you've planted twice now um if you were to do it the third time if what would you what would be the one thing that you would do differently 
So I, I, this feels like I'm sitting on the fence, and I'm not trying to say this, but maybe that is it. I think the more you do it, the more I realise that everyone is different. I absolutely love London. So, you know, God, if ever I planted again, I could only imagine it being in London. But even every London borough is so different. I think I just have to study the place or the people to try and shape what kind of thing you're doing. And, and what we can never get in with Church Plant is we're not mimicking, we're not franchising, we're trying to bring the gospel to the people where we are. And so I, I don't want to feel, oh, golly, would I do something different? I mean, I would have loved, okay, if I would have loved to have done a church bivocationally. So when I was on the London team, we planted 10 churches in London. They all had a full-time paid member of staff. Uh, we've got a guy, I'm, I'm part of a group called Advance, and he's just moved into Wembley, and he's doing it by vocation, but it's such hard work. And I think if we're really going to be a movement that doesn't just add churches but multiplies, we've got to get into releasing people in the workplace. And I feel like I'm a theorist when it comes to that. But Bob Roberts talks otherwise, we're just mimicking, and that takes money, whereas we want to be creative and honestly believe. You know, so when I came here to be honest, I tried to get back in. You know, I went to Australia. Some would have considered it a plant. There was a group there, about 30. I would have said it was a re-engineering. It didn't work. I came back, and part of me thought I could get back into teaching. That was what I used to do. It's changed so much. They said, look, you can't do that. You need to reskill. So then I'd always quite fancied sales and I've got a sister-in-law that had offered to get me an interview. She's very good at sales. And I just said to my wife, if I get into that, it would take me three years to really learn it. And I'll learn double what I'll learn in the church. I'm never sure if I'd come back. And so I thought, oh, I feel the call of God. So fortunately, Steve Tibbet backed me and that's how I managed to do this one. But that has probably been my biggest regret. I'd love to have thought could we do it by vocation and how do we get a way that we could see multiple church plants and not just take so much money? Very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, Pete, I think that's really helpful thinking about, I'm um, thinking about the effects that trying to get people to join your church actually has on you, your family, your soul in a funny way. Um, I'm also slightly stunned by what it was to plant a church in the 1900s, which is <laughs> I mean, just you just like you're Fred Flintstone. It's incredible. And now Jetsons. It's amazing. Um, but no, I, I'm really helpful thinking of just thinking about actually what effect does it if I'm going after new people all the time, especially the sort of personality that you are and the effect that has on your wife and your kids. Um, yeah, just really very helpful. Uh, I know when you were talking about uh, I have to drive there and I have to take my kids with me or you had to, that actually I know me and Matt um, are, at sim- are at that sort of stage now where if we go, the kids have got to come. And, um, yeah, my, one of mine even wanted to go to a different site of CCM. She wanted to move sites. and I mean, she's only she was only 11, so I was like, no, you can't, you've can't. you got to come with me. Sorry, it's just how life is at the moment. So the effect it has on family, really interesting, very helpful. Great. Well, we'll finish there. I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, thanks very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes of everything that Pete said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 138. See you next time.